We begin a two-part series today. I'm going to be handling both parts of those, so I will be closing it out next week. But it is called the Heart to Heart series through the book of Philemon. Only I have the gift to take a very tiny, short little book and break it into two parts, right? I mean, like, if you ever wanted to feel like you're accomplishing something of reading the Bible, read the book of Philemon. You're like, I read a book of the Bible today, right? It's like the tiniest book ever. But once again, the gift of stretching things and making them go too long is something I possess. So we're going to go ahead and pull it into two parts. Uh, this Heart to Heart series to the book of Philemon, I entitled the first part, A Life Transformed. So I'm going to show you the fill in the blank in one second, but I want to talk a little bit about the idea of transformation. Christianity is a faith and a lifestyle. A faith and a lifestyle. In other words, when we get rescued by God, the Bible says that we were dead in our sins. We're not bringing anything to the table. We're drowning. We need to be rescued. God sweeps in doing all the work, scooping us up and bringing us to life. But he saves us for a purpose. Once we have that new life and we're in the new kingdom, once we are everything that he is building us to be, once he puts his Holy Spirit within us, we then have a lifestyle to live. Unfortunately, in recent years, Christianity has been reduced to merely thinking good thoughts, right? Talking about good stuff. The idea that we sit around and we go, yeah, you know what? Jesus was talking about this. No, I want to argue he was talking about this. And then we spend all our time arguing about stuff that may or may not matter. But Christianity is a lifestyle as well as a faith. I'm going to share with you one of my favorite verses. As a matter of fact, it comes from Matthew eleven twenty nine. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, man, I love that verse. As a guy who struggles with anxiety my whole life, man, I'll put that on the fridge. I'll put that on the mirror. I'll put that in the car. Like I want that thing everywhere. The problem with the verse is that most of us focus only on the rest. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. You need rest for your souls. And we're like, yeah, rest. We don't need to carry it all on our shoulders. And is that really what God meant? Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely a part of it. What he was saying is, listen, kids. Listen, I'm going to carry the heavy lifting. I'm asking you to partner with me, but I'm not asking you to carry the load. I'm not asking you to perform that I'm going to love you more. I'm not asking you to push forward the kingdom as if it was all on you. You see, it's not by your might, but by the Holy Spirit that we're actually going to get anything done. So yes, if there is exhaustion and burnout, it's not because the Lord put it on your agenda list, right? But unfortunately, that's where we stop. You see, we look at light, easy. We forget the words yoke and burden. Why? Because what's a yoke for? It's for work. What is a yoke? Y'all know this. This is old school. You put a big piece of wood on the top over the cow's head and it's got a little cutout hole and then you put a yoke on the bottom and you tie it together so that cow A and cow B are pulling the same way. They're pulling the plow. That's what a yoke is, right? Yokes 
are for work. Whether they're light and easy or not, they're for work. Having a yoke and wearing it in Walmart is stupid. Make sense? You don't wear a yoke while you're kicking back watching a sitcom. Okay, there's no point in having a yoke in all the other areas. A yoke is for work. So Jesus said, my yoke is easy, but I still got a yoke. There's still stuff for us to do. I'll bring the power, but you got to show up to the job. Like, I need you partnering with me. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. But it's still a yoke. It's still a burden. We still have a job to do. Because Christianity is a lifestyle. Let me call out another passage. First John 2, 3 through 6, is, uh, Jesus said, excuse me, John said this, And by this we know that we have come to know Christ if we keep his commandments. Now, most of Christ's commandments were things to do. Whoever says, I know Christ, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him... Truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Christianity is based on an apprentice concept, a protege concept, a disciple concept. What it means is this, you duplicate the life of the one you're following. This is where in the back of your mind you go, okay, Pastor Lance, hold on one second. I get the whole apprentice concept if you're like at a job, right? So let's say I'm the apprentice of Paul the Apostle. He's making tents. I'm getting up at eight in the morning and I'm following him to the job and we're cutting fabric and then we're figuring out what knots to use and then we're talking about what tent pegs to use and we're making all these cool tents and I know that we all leave at 3.30. I can duplicate that lifestyle. When you talk about it with Christianity, I don't get it because in Christianity, we don't do anything. Ah, there's the problem. Why don't we do anything? See, that's where something has been divorced or ripped away I encourage all new believers to read the Gospel of Mark. Why? Well, Matthew and John, and even Luke to some degree, Matthew and John in their Gospels, they talk about a lot of stuff Jesus said. And they get into this deep kind of ethereal kind of, wow, the kingdom of God is kind of like this. And well, what happens is we get all wrapped up in our thoughts and we just think stuff. Sometimes we'll talk stuff. But the Gospel of Mark is the action gospel. Literally, it jumps through super fast. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It says, and Jesus did this, and then he went here and he did this, and he went here and he did this, because Jesus did stuff. What did he do? You're like, well, we can't duplicate his stuff. Man, that guy came to seek and save that which was lost. He died for the sins of the world. I'm not doing that. You think that's all Jesus did? Oh, no, Jesus destroyed the work of the devil. You see, Jesus healed the sick. Jesus prayed over people. Jesus sat in the oppression and brought justice to people that did not have any. He was casting demons. He was walking through and messing with the structures. Jesus did stuff. It is our job to duplicate the lifestyle. Do you understand why it seems so absurd then? If you pull the supernatural out, what does the Christian do? No, I think the supernatural is kind of part of the gig. 
Jesus was supernatural. We're supernatural. It's kind of why we have to continue to press into that stuff. But what I'm saying is Jesus brought the kingdom. He didn't just talk about the kingdom. The fill in the blank on the sheet in front of you is this. Engaged Christianity makes you act differently. Engaged Christianity makes you act differently. If you're not acting differently, there is some part of disengagement. I've been thinking about this a lot with my dad, right? So dad with brain cancer, we tried chemo, we've done radiation, nothing, no impact. It just continues to get worse. Why? Well, part of it has to do with his age. My dad is not a spring chicken. He's not a young guy. I don't consider him very old. But our bodies are built in a certain way where they're kind of front-loaded. So when you're little, your body regenerates cells super fast, right? So, for example, a little one will get a cut on their arm and almost like a superhero like Wolverine, it suddenly heals up like by the afternoon. Me, I cut myself. It's 42 years later. I'm still looking at it. it. Takes forever to heal, right? Okay, because our bodies are generating at a certain speed when we're younger, and then they don't tend to do that when we're older. In the same way is learning. Once again, we're front-loaded. Little ones learn at quantum leaps. When they're going to school, they're pulling in information, and one statistic said they are learning the equivalent of a new job every day. Like whatever new job you walked into that takes you weeks to grab, they have to do it every day. They're constantly amassing, but the older we get, it starts to curve off, right? And we kind of even out. Here's an encouragement for you. With the Holy Spirit inside you, that is not the case with spiritual growth. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit never wanes, never backs off, never mellows out. The Holy Spirit never grows tired. If he's in you, that means that he is churning and bringing transformation from the moment you're saved till the moment you pass into glory. On your deathbed, he is still doing quantum leaps of understanding. He's still doing quantum leaps of transformation. He never slows down. The only reason we are not transforming more is hard hearts. We're the ones shutting the process down. He's not. Holy Spirit's not going, yeah, we tried that. Holy Spirit's like, I'll go again right now. Like, what do you, what do you want? Let's go. And the reason why I say that is, once again, I want to challenge Bridgeway. Here's my dream. That whenever anyone asks us what intense stuff God has ever done in our life, our answer is, you know, last week, and we fill in the blank. Not, I was in college. Not 30 years ago, I saw this crazy miracle. I'm talking about last week. And why is it last week? Why is it not today? Because the miracle was so intense, you're still waiting for the fruition to come out of that thing. You're still ready to tell the full story and testimony, but you don't even know the full story yet, so you're hanging on to that one. Right? That's my dream for Bridgeway. What we must not do is think that as we get older... That somehow the transformation should slow down. No way. You should be screaming towards glory. You understand what I'm saying? All of us, because the Holy Spirit is still rolling. Now, I'm going to tell you this two-part series, but I'm going to tell you the whole story right now. You don't have to wait till t- part two to figure out what happens. This is not a cliffhanger story. I'm going to kind of reveal the whole thing to you. 
But here's the story. It's in the book of Philemon, and I'll tell you what it is in one second. But here we go. Over 2,000 years ago in the ancient world, a non-Christian man named Onesimus was a slave. He was owned by a Christian man named Philemon who ran a church out of his house. Now, right there, your modern sensibilities should be like, I'm sorry, what would you say? Did you just say a dude that runs a church owns another dude? Is that what you told me? Like, that's messed up. Okay, you're right. That is messed up. Now, we're going to get into all the details of it. And we're going to talk about slavery here in a moment. But what I need you to understand is that it is possible for Christians who love Jesus intentionally or unintentionally to still do bad things. Can we agree on that? Is it possible that Christians that mean well are part of bogus systems without even knowing it? Yeah? Okay, so right off the bat, we're just going to say it as it is. This guy owned this guy. This guy ran away. All right, we're going to move on. One day, as Onesimus runs away, we're not told why. Was it poor treatment? Was it that he was taking advantage of the kindness of his master? I don't know. But when he ran away, he ended up running either intentionally or unintentionally into Paul the Apostle. Now, what he was doing was illegal. Imagine when you do something illegal and you run into Paul the Apostle. You're like, really? On this one day, can I run into anybody else but that guy? So he runs into Paul the Apostle, who is currently on house arrest. Anybody know what house arrest is? Nowadays, you get a little ankle it. (laughs) right you get the little deep deep thing on your ankle back then you got a dude chained to you that's a drag you thought it was hard to go to the bathroom one time try imagine bringing that guy with you so paul the apostle was on house arrest he was chained to another guy he could have visitors he could make dinner he could read he could write he could do all this stuff but he was still always connected to somebody else okay Those two get connected and Onesimus starts being around Paul, ends up getting saved, ends up serving Paul in the ministry as a friend and a partner. Transformation occurs. So one day, Paul, in agreement with Onesimus, agrees, dude, you got to go back home. Now, there's a reason he left, but now he's got to go back home and face it. His leaving was illegal, and he stole from his master. He's got to own up to that. Paul does not want to benefit from Philemon's loss, right? So he sends a letter to Philemon that says, Hey, I'm sorry all this stuff happened to you. We're going to own up to it. We'll pay you whatever you need. But here's the deal. I need you to release him. And I want you to send him back to me so he can help me out. How's that letter going to go? Hmm. He ends up sending the letter along with another letter called the book of Colossians. So if you're familiar with the book of Colossians, all that was at the same time. They end up getting it all together. All right. Last thing you need to know before we open up the book, because I'm all big on context, is we need to talk about slavery. Slavery has been happening throughout the entire world since the dawn of civilization. Why? Because it's always about power control and domination slavery is one person utilizing power over another person now we can talk about that in a personal way cain killed abel because he could 
Cain used his power, Cain used his position, Cain used his nasty heart to what? Take out another guy. Ever since that happened, man, everybody's been hurting everybody else. It's been crazy. Now, slavery has been different, but it's been on every continent. It's been in every country. It's been all throughout the world. But it's varied significantly where you're at. It's varied from people groups. It's varied whether or not it was based on color. It's varied in a bunch of different ways. Now, I need us to separate out the story we're going to read about Roman slavery from what we will be talking about in our series that launches tonight. Some of you, 300 of you signed up. We have a big waiting list. I apologize. 300 of you signed up to be in our nighttime series called Healing an Ethnically Wounded Nation. We will be dealing with American history and American slavery, which is particularly nasty and very unique. So let's make sure we separate that out. That's one conversation with the conversation we're going to talk about, which is Roman slavery in the ancient world. In Roman slavery, it had become so popular that estimates are that between one third to one half of the entire Roman empire was slave. So we would just simply cut the congregation in two. This whole side is slave. This whole side is free. Christianity rose with a massive slave population. You want to talk about a faith that really got launched with people that were wrestling in a slavery mindset. You want to talk about Christianity. They were our glory, our gold, those folks, right? Okay. There are six common reasons why slavery has occurred throughout history. And I want to go through those real quick. Since 3000 BC, we have written down record accounts that the major reason of slavery initially was prisoners of war. So you go in, you storm another person, you beat them all up, and then you got a bunch of people. What are you going to do with the people? Well, you can't just get rid of them all. They have to continue to do stuff. And you know they're going to come back at you. So you put them into servitude. You force them into slavery. So, for example, Israel had a whole system of slavery. It was highly controlled, and there was protections, and there was all these things. But there was still a system of slavery. But when they did prisoners of war, it was different. So they put them into servitude. All right. So the first one was war base. Second one, debt. Working off what you owed. There were certain systems in the world where if you owed a amount of money, you could say, I will enter into a contract with you and pay it off. You go, well, that's an employee. Mm, not really. Because they still own you while you work for them and you're under contract. They own you. You do not have your own rights, but you can pay it off. Let's say, for example, you wanted to do a startup business and you kept borrowing money, borrowing money, borrowing money. You now own $690,000 and you're like, I, I'm going to go bankrupt. There was no bankruptcy court. You either go to jail or someone says, I'll buy your debt with you. You will owe me until you pay off $690,000. Now, how when's that going to be? Never. Do you understand how dangerous that system is with manipulation? Because what you can do is you can say, you work for me today. That was five cents. You're in control. All right. So debt was the second reason. Third one was poverty self-selling. Do you realize that there are people in this world today in America that they're so 
struggling with poverty that going to jail is a step up because at least they have a meal. In the ancient world, poverty had become so significant that sometimes people said, I'm either going to die or I'm going to sell myself or sell my children. So that self-selling just to stay alive was the third reason. Fourth reason is restitution. You're a thief. You stole a whole truckload of TVs. As you were doing your little high-speed chase, you crashed the TVs. They're all ruined. Who's going to pay for the TVs? Well, that's you. You don't got any money. That's why you were stealing the TVs in the first place. So you now are owned by someone to pay back the TVs. Restitution. Number five, birth. Did nothing other than get born. Right? Because if your parents were slaves, you were a slave. And unfortunately, in the Roman Empire, there was a whole series of births that people didn't want their children. So they would throw them out in the garbage heap when they were born. People would come in afterwards and pick up those children and use them like a market. They would raise the girls for prostitution and the boys for slavery. You didn't do anything. You're simply born. And that was your lifestyle. Number six, the last one is abduction. Abduction. Now, in almost every case, it is illegal, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. Abduction means you go to someone minding their own business and you kidnap them and grab them, which, by the way, a lot of modern day slavery is really in that vein. The kidnapping, grabbing, pulling over, forcing into labor, and you can't escape. That's the sixth reason. Now, why am I telling you all this? Because the general rules are that if you are a slave, you don't have rights. Someone else gets to determine your present and your future. The other thing is that you are property. You may have special skills. As a matter of fact, in the Roman Empire, it had gotten so watered down and so prevalent that it was more like an employee-employer stuff back in that day where you would have somebody that was a slave that was a doctor had gone through all the education and was more skilled and better off than the majority of the free population. So you had that all the way down to being treated like a tool in the field and driven into the ground. The point about slavery is that someone else determines your world. Ah, that's where we find our story. Would you turn with me to the book of Philemon? Philemon, I'd say what chapter it was, but there's only one. We're just going to go verse. Philemon, verse 1, and here's the cool thing about ancient letters. I love this idea. They start out by saying, who sent in the letter? I like that. Where do we ever get to the idea that you sign your name at the end of the letter? That's stupid. Like you're like, oh, you're dreamy. I think you're awesome. Your eyes are beautiful. Signed, Bob. Well, that would have been nice to know at the beginning. You know what I mean? Like if it was really a love letter from Bob, I want to know that up front. I don't want to wait till the end of the letter to find that out. So in the ancient world, they say, hi, it's me. Uh, We are writing you a letter, right? So that's where we're going to start. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. Okay. I need to highlight out a couple things here. First thing, who did Paul say he was? A prisoner. I'm sorry, I thought that was like an embarrassment thing. 
Like, you don't want to be in jail because that's embarrassing and you got caught for your faith. And isn't that your humiliation, Paul? And he said, hmm, could have been, could have been. But that which tried to make me bitter, as a matter of fact, I allowed Jesus to transform that in my heart. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to operate and that is going to be my badge of honor. You know who I'm a prisoner for? Jesus Christ. This isn't about me. This is about my Lord, and I'm willing to do anything and everything for my Lord. You know what? I don't have any rights. You're right. I'm a prisoner for God. He gets to make all the calls. I get to make none of the calls. And you know what? Right now, he has me in a super uncomfortable position doing stuff I don't want to do. But that is his call because I am his prisoner. Man, how cool is that? He didn't allow the enemy to steal his joy. As a matter of fact, he watched it be transformed and morphed around, and now he signs it with pride. You know who I am? Prisoner of Jesus. Great. And then he signs Timothy's name on there. Oh, Timothy's writing it too. Now you got to remember, Timothy's not in jail right now. So really throw him under the bus. Because if anyone wants to start persecuting Christians more, which we find out in history did happen, how are they going to know if you're a Christian? They're going to know why, because it was in writing. Well, why is it in writing? Well, Paul was in jail for being a Christian. He just said, Timothy's on his team. Thanks, Paul. Just threw me under the bus. So why would Timothy allow his name to be signed like that? You know, my life verse that I have carried since the age of six, when I was first counseled about anxiety, I memorized a verse and I've never forgot it. It's out of the book of Timothy. For God has not given me a spirit of fear but of power, love, and a sound mind. I've said it my whole life. Do you know why that verse is in there? Because he wrote to Timothy because Timothy was scared. What was Timothy scared of? Was he scared of anxiety? No. What was he scared of? Going public with his faith because of embarrassment and persecution. Timothy was trying to hide and Paul said, buddy, you are gifted, you are anointed, and you are called. Don't you let that timidity push you down. Don't let them shut down your flame. You need to fan into flame the gift that was given to you with the laying out of my hands. You are the man for this moment. Do not hide. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, And of self-control. We got this. That's why the verse is in there. How awesome is it that at one point Timothy was at that low place and now he's willing to have his name signed as a prisoner of Jesus Christ. That's transformation. Says what? To Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church that meets in your house. Okay, whatever you're going to assume about ancient slavery and things like that, here's what you need to know. Philemon was a good guy. You're going to find a whole bunch of stuff about this, that this guy was pretty awesome, and he was super generous and sweet and kind to a bunch of people. So how we reconcile that, that is a a whole different matter. But he happens to mention a couple other people. It looks like a husband and wife team. Aphia and Archippus. What I think is intriguing here is that he mentions the woman by name. That is not common. He mentions her first. That is even less common. Why? Because Paul's calling out who are all the different people that are in the ministry working, who are the hardcore big dogs, and he happens to mention a woman. That is very important because women 
were very active in the early church and very powerful and very strong. All right. To the church that is in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means he's writing to believers. How do we know that? Because only believers can say those four things about themselves. Ready to go through it again? If you are a Christian today, there are four things he just said that are true of you that are not true of anyone that does not know Jesus. Number one, you are in a state of grace. Grace means unmerited, unearned favor or blessing. It means you didn't do anything to deserve it, but you got it. What did you get? You received from the Lord because of the death of Jesus Christ on the cross, forgiveness for your sins, past, present, and future. Everything that happens on your account when it comes to sin was already paid for on the cross, nailed there, goes on to Jesus's account. All of his righteous acts, every bit of purity and holiness is transferred to your account. So you walk in the state of grace. Nobody else can say that. That is for the Christian only. But there's more. Peace from God our Father. You see that? You have peace. Why? Because you used to be afraid of things in the world, but now the biggest, baddest bodyguard is your bodyguard. Now God is, what? Watching over you. You're now precious to Him. So you have nothing to fear. Anything that matters, anything that is significant about future existence has already been taken care of. You have peace. Number three, no one can say God is my father except a Christian. You're like, well, technically God created everybody. We're all God's kids. We're all God's creation. I don't think we're all God's kids. You see, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit coming into us and the price that Jesus paid gave us the right to become children of God. We are children of God. And then lastly, it says in our Lord Jesus Christ, nobody else can say that Jesus Christ is your master except a Christian. Jesus Christ is our King. Amen? All right. So we're talking to Christians. Why does Paul point all this out? Because he's like, buddy, you're a Christian. I'm a Christian. We got to talk Christian stuff. All right, cool. He said this. I thank my God always when I remember you, Philemon, in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of that loyalty, that faithfulness may become effective For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ, for I have derived much joy and comfort from your active love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. What does that mean? Man, Philemon, good job, dude. I mean, if we're going to talk about it like a good guy, you're a good guy. Man, all I get to hear, Epaphras just shows up from your town and he's like, wow, Philemon's so good, so good, such a nice guy. I'm talking to everybody, even Onesimus, the guy that I'm talking to right now. He even talks some things that are really, really good about you. You're a really, really generous guy. Now, what's Paul doing? Well, he's probably being honest and he's probably being kind, but you also got to realize he's about to make a request. Sometimes you can call this buttering up. Right? He's like, so buddy, man, you are so nice. Oh my goodness. 
Like, if I'm going to talk about generosity, if I'm going to talk about a blessing guy, it would be you. You. Look at the next word. Accordingly. Ah, there we go. Now we just turned a corner. He's like, since you're so awesome, I have something I need to talk to you about. Now look at this phrase. Paul said, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Uh Uh-oh, that's called a warning shot. That's called a, I'm going to drop a bomb on you in a moment here, but I would love to keep this cool. But I'm going to tell you that I could, because I'm so secure in Christ, I could because of my power and my influence. I'm an apostle. I could lean in and force you to do what you really need to do. Now, one thing I think that is really cool is the phrase, I'm bold enough in Christ. Here's what I think is wonderful about that. Paul is so settled in his identity about who he is that no matter what Philemon says to him is not going to rattle him. Have you ever noticed, I was talking with Pastor Brian Kiley on a recent podcast we were doing, the Engaging Culture podcast, that when people are insecure about their argument or insecure as a person, they tend to raise their voice and yell a lot. It's usually people that are secure in their stance that can talk calmly back and forth. Because whatever you're going to say is not going to move them. They're like, all right, I can handle it. Whatever you got, we're cool. But we get all sketchy and we get scared and we yell a lot when we are not sure that our side is right. Paul is so subtle in his identity. He said, I can do whatever I need to do for Christ and you aren't going to change that. I'm not worried about what you think of me. I'm only worried about what my Lord thinks of me. He said, now, I could command you to do what is required. Is Paul being a bully? Because it sounds like that. Now, I don't think he is, but it sounds, can you understand why it sounds like that? If somebody says, I could force you, and then they ask you for a favor, you're like, dude, right? Okay. I don't think he's being a bully. I think he's being honest. Here's why. I think that what he is about to say is so important to him that he's letting him know, I'm going to need to follow this all the way through. I don't, like after we talk, if you're not favorable, I'm still going to go to the next level. I can't let this go. So I'm just telling you in advance, I'm going to go through the entire process and this is going to happen. I would much rather us be on the same page. What if that's what God designed it for? What do I mean? What if God knew that somebody had to take this to the true logical conclusion? So he gave Paul the power and authority, privilege and position to make that call. Maybe someone needed to stand up. Maybe that is the reason why Paul is involved in this. Hmm. He said this. Could have made you, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. For love's sake? What do you mean? Let me give you the Lance paraphrase. You ready? This is what I think he just said. For the sake, Philemon, that I love you as a brother. For the sake of the love that dwells in me as a Christian. For the sake of the integrity of the gospel and ministry of the one that is truly love incarnate, Jesus Christ, I prefer to appeal to you. I think that's what he just said. And then we'll get the next line. I, Paul, an old man. And you're like, you didn't just drop the old man line, did you? You don't want to say no to an old man, do you? Right? That's not what he's saying. Paul is in his 60s. This is some of the last letters he ever wrote. I don't think Paul was looking for pity. 
I think that what Paul was saying is in their culture, older meant seasoned and wise. I think he was saying, listen, I'm not a cocky young guy trying to steal from you. I know what I'm talking about. I've been there, done that. I just need you to know this is important. Okay. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I paid my dues. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. That's the first time Onesimus's name just got dropped. The whole time Philemon's reading going, what do you want? What do you want? What? Oh, I see what you want. You got my man. Now, I think by rumor, he's got to have known that Onesimus was there. There's no way that didn't get back to the people. I wonder what he's thinking the whole time. Hey, Paul, uh, any chance you're going to return my guy to me? Like, what are you doing? I wonder if he's questioning Paul's motives. But now Paul goes public and he says, I need to appeal to you about my child. Why would he say that? Well, because for anyone that gets saved under Paul's ministry, he considers them their father in the faith and they are now his children in the faith. So it's not extreme. He did the same thing with Timothy, same thing with Titus, right? He would call them, listen, you got saved in my ministry. I'm now your spiritual father. But then he goes one step forward. He says this, formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. Here's what you're going to miss if you read it in English. Onesimus means useful. So he's doing a whole play on words. Here's what he just said. Hey, Philemon, although his name is useful, you and I both know he wasn't useful to you. He's probably a pain in your rear end. But now that he's saved and I've had a little time with him, he's useful. He's now Philemon, at least in some capacity, excuse me, he's Onesimus in some capacity, in some ministry. He's useful to me, helping me practically. He's helpful to you as a Christian brother in the faith, partnering with us to do what we do. All a play off his name, useful. But then look at this appeal. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Uh, it's personal to Paul. Here's what Paul says. I'm sending you a piece of me. You don't want to hurt me, do you? Like you're, you're going to, I'm giving you some of me. You're going to turn that back on me. You see, his problem is my problem. His pain is my pain. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm in it all. This is my man. You call him your man. He's my man. He's my very heart. I need you to care for him. Now, I could just leave it there and be adult about this, but I do need to make one comment because I'm immature. The phrase in the ancient world of emotion is not heart. What is the real word? Bowels. Thank you, Lord. He is saying, I'm sending you back my bowels. I love that. I think that is hilarious. It means I'm sending you back the emotional part of me. We call it heart. Back then it was bowels. All right, moving on. (laughs) Write this down. No, no. He said, I would have been glad to keep Onesimus with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. Let me give you a Lance paraphrase. Here's what I think he said. Hey, Philemon, I don't know if I mentioned it or not, right? Like I'm in jail for the gospel. How many times has he mentioned it? Like 14, right? He's constantly saying, he's like, I don't know if I said it already. But anyway, I'm in jail for the gospel. My life is actually really hard out here, suffering for the gospel. You're pretty comfy in your own home church, I understand. I've always needed more help out here, so anything y'all sent me, that would be great. 
But thankfully, you know what? Even though you didn't, God sent me this young man. It's almost like you gave me a present. You don't want to take your present back, do you? Pretty smart. He said, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but your idea. Okay. Now, it's not his idea, but right. So Paul's like, I don't want to force you, man. A forced blessing isn't a blessing. It's not forced, right? You're into this. You're good with this, right? Okay. So this is where we're going to stop. We're going to break here because I want to just highlight one point as we close out. Onesimus was one type of man when we started this story. Onesimus, for whatever reason, found himself in a very difficult situation. His reaction to the difficult situation was to react. So he did what he did. It was illegal. We can all question whether or not it should have been illegal. Right? But what he did, he did. He ends up running into Paul, but he ran away for a reason. After he's been with Jesus, he's willing to go back. See, that type of transformation only happens in Christianity. Why would you ever go back? Because wouldn't you just go, man, I'm now a believer. I now have an identity. Things are finally working out for me. I now feel empowered. I now feel a purpose in what I'm doing. I now feel intentional. I just want to sail. But he didn't. He said, my Jesus makes me do really, really uncomfortable things. And I'm all right with that. So I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go back home and I'm going to apologize. I'm going to pay some stuff back. Do I want to do this? No, of course I don't want to do this. Am I going to do it? Yeah, I am. Why? Because Christianity makes me live a certain way. Okay. The power of transformation. Are you still changing? Are you still doing things that you didn't do last time? Is there still continued transformation? Give me an example. I mean, it can be something as ridiculous as last week you were like a level seven road rage. Can we get it to like a level five? That would be awesome. Okay. Uh, let's say that in 2017 you cheated on your taxes. Can we make 2018 clear? Right? Like, is there life change that's happening? Let's say you used to be the grumpy shopper at Save Mart. Can you now, because you're like, oh, I was in a bad mood. You're always in a bad mood. Like, can we somehow allow the joy of the Lord to kind of come in and fix some of that stuff? So you're now like smiley Save Mart shopper, right? Like, is there any changes that are still going on in your life where people can see that Jesus has an effect on you from the outside, that you're not just thinking new things, Right? Because Christianity is not just a faith. It's a lifestyle. And we need to start doing stuff different. Can I have the prayer team come on up here as we close out? The prayer team is here hoping that you'll come up for prayer. They want to pray for you about anything that's emotional, spiritual, physical, right? Mental, relational. All that is going to be open. Uh, we have the, if you're brand new, we have the, the thing upstairs where introducing Bridgeway, you get a chance to meet some of my staff and myself. I would love to have you go on up there. Please don't forget to do that. Bring your little card that you filled out, right? But after this, I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I'm going to pray a blessing that our eyes would be open, that we'd begin to see what changes we need to make. But when I say amen, the altar is open. 
You just come forward. You don't need to wait for any other opportunity. Some of you may need to come forward because today is the day of your salvation. The whole time I'm talking about the power of Jesus and the transformation inside, God has been saying, today's your day. I want you to know that each one of these people are equipped to be able to talk with you through the process of becoming a Christian today. I want you to do that. Don't push it off another day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask as your son, with all the privileges that come with being your son, that you would bless us today. That you would let the scales fall from our eyes, that we would no longer be ignorant or blinded to what you're doing and what you want to do. That, Lord, that we wouldn't be exhausted from building our kingdom and your kingdom. Lord, some of us need to start doing stuff by doing less. God, we've been performing for your love. We've been trying to keep up with Christian culture, and you never asked us to do any of that. I pray, Lord, that you would help us think rightly, that our priorities would be in the right place. That, God, that we would actually see where we can be active in transformation that lord that when you show us injustice we respond when you show us hurt we respond god that we are not just merely thinkers but we are doers lord i know you're going to love us anyway but i know you saved us for something so i just pray a washing a blessing an anointing and an empowerment over every single member of this family. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you next time.